Hello, and welcome to Blueprint for Clean Energy, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. My name is Matt Hanna, and I will be your host for today's webinar titled, Making It Count 2, Understanding the Value of Energy Efficiency Financing Programs Funded by Utility Customers. The Yale Center for Business and the Environment is pleased to continue the Blueprint for Clean Energy webinar series. This series invites leading practitioners and researchers in the field of clean energy to talk about the latest opportunities and developments in corporate, non-profit, and public-private arenas. We hope you'll also visit our partner program, Clean Energy Finance Forum, at cleanenergyfinanceforum.com. This webinar has been developed in partnership with the State and Local Energy Efficiency Action Network, or C-Action Network, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, and the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. This is the second of two webinars focused on C-Action's recent report exploring utility customer-funded energy efficiency financing. This report is available through the C-Action Network's website at caction.energy.gov, and a link to this report will be posted in the GoToWebinar window. We will also post a link to the slides you will see today. We are delighted to have an exceptional panel with us today to discuss this topic. Chuck Goldman will be moderating a panel discussion with Dina Carrillo, Brian Garcia, and Andy Bridges. Chuck Goldman is a staff scientist and division director of the Energy Analysis and Environmental Impacts Division at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Dina Carrillo is the executive director of the California Alternative Energy and Advanced Transportation Financing Authority, providing financial support for the development and commercialization of transportation and energy technologies. Brian Garcia is president and chief executive officer of the Connecticut Green Bank, responsible for using limited public funds to attract and deploy private investment in clean energy. Andy Bridges is the Director of Institutional Programs at the Connecticut Green Bank, focusing on supporting energy efficiency and renewable energy projects for state agencies, municipalities, universities, and hospitals. We are delighted to have this exceptional group with us today. We'd like to remind our listeners that we welcome any questions you might have and we'll direct them to our speakers at the conclusion of the webinar. Please type your questions directly into the GoToWebinar chat window throughout the presentation. And with that, Chuck Goldman will kick off today's discussion. Thank you, Matt. Good morning. Uh, this webinar uh, has been developed and facilitated by the C-Action uh, Network. Um, it's a network of 200-plus leaders and professionals led by state and local policymakers trying to bring energy efficiency to scale at state and local levels. C-Action is organized into eight working groups, um, and it's facil facilitated by the Department of Energy and the Environmental Protection Agency. It's the successor to the original National Action Plan for Energy Efficiency. Um, C-Action focuses uh, its efforts on trying to develop uh, materials, a library of best practices, uh, considerations for decision-making, analysis of current approaches on key topics facing energy efficiency policymakers and program administrators, uh, and the target audiences are energy office directors, utility regulators, air quality regulators, 
legislators, governors, county officials, consumer advocates, and other stakeholders in the industry. Um, today's webinar is part two of uh, we talked last week uh, and gave a, an overview of the Making It Count report, uh, which focuses on understanding the value of energy efficiency, uh, financing programs funded by utility customers. The report's objectives were to uh, explore options for placing efficiency financing in an appropriate regulatory context and to explore ways of adapting efficiency program planning and evaluation tools to the unique features of energy efficiency financing. We were asked to develop this report by the Financing Solutions Working Group, whose goal was to try to start a dialogue among regulators, policymakers, and the financial community and other stakeholders um, to sort of look at as financing programs ramp up and get to scale what are some of the issues we must confront? Today, we're going to try to take a, a, a different uh, approach, um, and we're going to have a very interactive discussion with the panels. List. I'm going to pose a set of questions uh, that sort of come from the report. But to provide context and overview, first, we're going to uh, there will be some introductory remarks by Dina Carrillo and Brian Garcia uh, to sort of give an overview of, of the activities in the California financing area as well as in Connecticut. Dina. Thanks, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dina Carrillo, and I'm the Executive Director of CAPEFA. And today, I was asked to talk a bit about one of the financing programs in California, um, the biggest pilot that we've got going from my perspective right now, which is the California Hub for Energy Efficiency Financing, or the CHIEF. The California Public Utilities Commission in 2013 approved a pilot program it's a seven, uh, there's seven energy efficiency financing pilots. It's the first open market third, capi third party capital on bill repayment platform in the country. We're going to be using $65 million of ratepayer funds as a credit enhancement to leverage private capital. And the program allows for project flexibility, where 70% of the pro projects can be energy efficiency and 30% can be other types of improvements to help encourage um, improvements and retrofits. Another part of the pilots that are very important is a robust data collection piece. We'll be collecting both pre- and post-project energy consumption data and loan lease performance information and collecting that in a way that we'll be providing to the public and um, other market actors. There's also an $8 million marketing camp budget that goes with us. The pilots will be available in the four investor-owned utilities. So for California, that covers about 75% of our population. Um, as I mentioned, there's seven pilots. Um, they focus on both the single-family residential program. We have a um, sub-pilot in just PG&E territory that will allow for credit enhancements and uh, line item billing, which is equivalent to on-bill repayment, where the loan product gets paid back on the utility bill. And that will be going, um, one of the interested parties there is Union Bank. And then we'll also have a two point, up, up to $2.5 million pilot for our master metered multifamily affordable housing pilot. Um, the residential pilot is um, anticipated to launch next month in phase one. So we're really in a very different phase of program development than Connecticut Green Bank that you'll hear um, also in the presentation. And then our on-bill repayment um, pilots are launching sequentially. We're working on designing and developing the on-bill repayment structure. And so those commercial pilots um, and our line item residential pilot will be launching um, in the next several months. We're still working on those timelines. 
On the commercial pilots, some of the innovation here is that we're supporting leases and energy service agreements as well as loans. Um, the leases can be both on-bill and off-bill, offering a different type of credit enhancements, um, similar to a loss reserve, but we'll be structuring it different for the different financing structures. Their folks don't need to be owner-occupied, and borrowers are small businesses or nonprofits. Um, we will also provide a non-credit enhancement option. We'll, we will just be offering on-bill repayment to some of the um, larger projects, um, any size business, government, or nonprofit. So that's an overview of what we're doing here in California. Again, um, this is one of many different financing approaches that we're taking in California, um, administered amongst a multitude of partners. But there's the broad overview for now. Thank you, Dina. Brian? Great. Uh, let me start by thanking Johanna Zetterberg, uh, Bruce Line, and the rest of the Financing Solutions Working Group, um, as well as the Regulatory Policies Working Group, uh, the LBNL team, Chuck, uh, Chris and the crew, and then the Center for Business and the Environment, um, uh, Matt, Lynn, Stewart. Thank you all for not only producing the paper, but now providing us a forum for this, this sort of dialogue. Um, in general, a green bank is a public sector institution that uses limited resources to attract and deploy more private investment in clean energy. Uh, the goal is to scale up the societal benefits for job creation and environmental protection by making clean energy more uh, affordable and accessible to consumers. Uh, to set some context, uh, the Connecticut Green Bank does not have cost-effectiveness requirements for program evaluation. Uh, we aren't incentivized to deliver all cost-effective resource acquisition. Uh, and to be clear, uh, our focus is beyond energy efficiency towards clean energy, uh, or what most in the utility 2.0 or grid 2.0 world are calling uh, clean distributed energy resources. Um, our focus is to increase clean energy improvements on the customer side of the meter over time by using less ratepayer resources and more private capital investment. Or let's say in cost-effectiveness terms, uh, we, we want to work towards a program administrator cost test of infinity. Uh, the mission of the Connecticut Green Bank is to go beyond cost-effective resource acquisition in order to support both near-term economic development and long-term climate change policy objectives for Connecticut. So in, in, again, in cost-effectiveness terms, uh, we might think about this in terms of a societal cost test of, in, of infinity and perhaps a TRC uh, as well. Um, our efforts seek to make clean energy more affordable and accessible to consumers. So for us, it's about delivering cheaper, cleaner, and more reliable sources of energy. Uh, transitioning towards distributed energy resources. Uh, again, it's not just about energy efficiency, but also renewable energy, demand response, and storage. And we've been actively working with the utilities and the regulators in this utility 2.0 or grid 2.0 direction. It is about deeper and more comprehensive energy improvements. So it's beyond payback metrics and towards immediate positive cash flow for the customer. Uh, or in cost-effectiveness terms, we want to work towards a participant cost test of one by getting as many energy improvements done as we can. Uh, next slide. Uh, so we have a number of financing products for both the residential and commercial sectors. Our focus is to drive deeper, more comprehensive projects that are consistent with Connecticut's comprehensive energy strategy. 
Uh, we have the Energized Connecticut Smarty Loan. Uh, this is an unsecured financing product through local community banks and credit unions. Uh, we provide a second loan loss guarantee through repurposed RSF funds. Uh, it's not a first loss as we want the financial institutions to take the first one and a half percent of losses. Uh, the community banks and credit unions provide five, seven, ten, and twelve year maturity terms at affordable not to exceed interest rates. Uh, this product finances every measure that is consistent with the state's comprehensive energy strategy and also provides up to 25% to support health and safety measures. Uh, we have the CT Solar Loan and CT Solar Lease. Uh, these products use repurposed RSF funds and support our state policy to transition the market reliance of residential solar PV incentives towards financing. So in this market, subsidies have decreased by 80% while demand has increased by 2,500% since, since 2012. Uh, the $6 million CT Solar loan was the first crowdfunded loan. Uh, we sold off a million dollars worth of those transactions, in fact, to California residents uh, where they have strong crowdfunding uh, policies. Uh, the product is now privatized with SunGage Financial and Digital Credit Federal Credit Union uh, with $100 million available now in multiple states with better terms and no state credit enhancement. So this is this product is having a positive spillover effect on the loan pro product market for solar PV. Uh, the $60 million Connecticut Solar Lease financed nearly $50 million of residential solar PV through U.S. Bank providing tax equity uh, and several local banks, Niagara Bank and Webster Bank providing debt. Uh, we're looking to expand this fund to over $100 million to continue financing commercial solar PV for nonprofits, cities and towns, and non-AAA credits through CPACE. Uh, we have our Commercial Property Assessed Clean Energy Program. Uh, we started off providing a $40 million warehouse using uh, Reggie Allowance proceeds to serve as a market catalyst. Uh, we then securitized the first sell-down of CPACE transactions to Clean Fund in 2014. Uh, delivering a four-to-one leverage ratio, and we recently closed on a financing public-private partnership with Hannon Armstrong for $100 million at a nine-to-one leverage ratio. Uh, in CPACE, we're seeing 30 to 40 percent energy savings on comprehensive energy efficiency projects and 90 percent savings on uh, EERE projects by providing 100 percent of the upfront capital requirements and delivering immediate positive cash flow to participating property owners. Um, so the residential solar financing programs are intended to transition the market reliance away from incentives and towards financing. So they would be considered uh, uh, substitute products. Uh, the residential and commercial financing programs that support energy efficiency and distributed energy resources would be considered complementary to existing incentive programs and they operate within our collaborations with the local utility programs of Eversource uh, and Avant Grid through Energize Connecticut. Uh, in time, we will be able to calibrate and optimize the incentive to financing mix as we learn together how incentives and financing can help drive demand for deeper and more comprehensive energy improvements. So uh, that's a quick overview of the Green Bank model uh, and several of Connecticut Green Bank's financing products. Thank you, Brian and Dina. Uh, I think folks can see that both Connecticut and California really are at the forefront of thinking about ways to integrate clean energy and energy efficiency financing as part of their broader portfolio of objectives. In the next uh, uh, part of the panel discussion, I've, I'm going to highlight five general areas and then go to specific questions. 
Um, these five areas come uh, are topics that were discussed in the Making Account Report. First, we're going to talk about the importance of financing evaluation. We're going to talk about the concept of trying to transform efficiency in clean energy markets in, in the financing area. Try to talk a little bit about the objectives, metrics, and evaluation approach and, that are being used in Connecticut and, and California. We want to talk a little bit about the overall policy objectives uh, of, uh, in California and Connecticut and, and try to use this concept of whether financing is ultimately going to be a substitute for other kinds of program designs or whether efficiency financing programs are complements to existing offerings. We're going to talk a little bit about assessing the impact and influence of, of a financing program. How, how do policymakers try to think about and think through the issues about attributing savings to your efforts? Try to but also talk a little bit about the regulatory and legislative context and the accountability uh, that's built into the in, in both states. And then we're going to have uh, hopefully a, a robust session for audience Q&A. So that's sort of the game plan for the next uh, hour or so. Um, so the first topic uh, in terms of, is about the importance of financing. Um, so financing evaluation is an emerging field. And what makes it so important to your jurisdictions? Uh, Brian and then Dina. Sure. Thanks, Chuck. So um, as the first green bank in the nation, um, evaluating the impact of our efforts is, is very important. Uh, we manage financial resources from a variety of sources that need to deliver energy improvements, uh, environmental protection, and economic development benefits to society. Our current sources of funds that we receive include uh, ratepayer funds through the system benefit charge. Uh, that has been a recurring source of funds since Connecticut deregulated in 2000. Uh, we receive Reggie allowance proceeds that we've received since the start of Reggie in 2008. Uh, federal funds from repurposed RSEP funds to those, uh, as well as those uh, competitively sought and received through Race to the Top grants like the Sunshot uh, Initiative. Uh, and then more recently, private capital providers like our $100 million public-private partnership with Hannon Armstrong to support CPACE. Uh, and foundations like our uh, $5 million program-related investment with the MacArthur Foundation uh, that we'll be announcing shortly to support clean energy deployment in low-income multifamily properties. Uh, and soon, uh, coming soon, in this year, uh, we hope to issue our first green bonds. Um, as the Connecticut Green Bank transitions from an incentive model where we instituted a zero-based budget through our predecessor organization to a financing model where we lend out our capital, we are building a balance sheet that can be leveraged to attract more private investment in Connecticut. We currently deploy 60 to 80 percent of our financial resources as loans or leases versus the past where 100 percent went to incentives or subsidies. Now we've built a balance sheet of 120 million dollars that can be leveraged to attract more private investment into clean energy in Connecticut. We anticipate leveraging our balance sheet and current sources of funds to issue green bonds in 2016 that will allow us to scale up our efforts. The green bond market will be looking at both the financial position of the Connecticut Green Bank to assess risk and thus yield, as well as the use of proceeds of the Connecticut Green Bank in order to determine how green our investments are. Uh, to that end, uh, in last year we issued our first audited comprehensive annual financial report uh, or CAFR. Uh, a CAFR is gold standard in government reporting and is granted by the Government Financial Officers Association. Uh, we just recently issued our second CAFR for fiscal year 2015 
which not only highlights our strengthening financial position, but also goes in depth into the societal benefits we are creating as a result of the investments we're making with the financial resources we're managing. So we will uh, be sure to make the 2015 CAFR available to those on the webinar uh, as this document serves as our annual independently audited evaluation mechanism. So financing is important because as we work to scale up our societal impact, we're going to need to access other sources of capital and green bonds is uh, Green Bank 2.0. Dina? Yeah, I think Brian covered a lot. The evaluation is, is crucial. I mean, when you look at um, this specific program, we are leveraging ratepayer dollars to try to encourage more private capital into the market and be able to lower the cost of capital to help address that upfront barrier for both businesses and consumers. California has these aggressive environmental goals. By 2030, we want to get 50% of our electricity from renewables and double our efficiency of existing buildings. And we know that we can't do that on taxpayer or ratepayer dollars alone. And um, not all entities can do that direct financing. So how do we get the private capital into the market? Our California's AB 758 action plan talks about you know, bringing affordable and accessible energy efficiency solutions. None of this matters if we're not getting to the energy goals. It doesn't matter if I'm providing 0% loans or, or grants or getting a great return if we don't actually see results. So evaluating that impact and whether this should be where we're focusing our policy dollars and our attention is, is crucial. Okay. We're going to come back a little bit more to talk about the, the different approaches that Connecticut and California are taking in terms of the, the, the CAFR that Brian talked about in, in terms of how that fits in with evaluation. Um, could you talk a little bit more about describing your approach to financing evaluation in particular? What puts your state at the forefront of this emerging field? Andy and then Dina? Thanks, Chuck. Um, as the Green Bank attracts more private capital and seeks to utilize the bond markets, as, as Brian mentioned, we're recognizing that we need to communicate our results with an additional set of stakeholders, the capital markets, um, than just the groups the traditional subsidy-based model had to speak to, primarily regulators and legislators. The private capital providers and the financial markets look at very different performance indicators and metrics than traditional clean energy evaluation has done. Uh, those would you know, commonly include megawatts, megawatt hours, jobs, greenhouse gas reductions, and, and, and the standard cost effectiveness tests. But these new indicators include more finance-based metrics, like loan performance uh, metrics, repayments, default and delinquency rates, um, metrics related to the strength of our balance sheet, our overall efficiency in turning resources into revenue or debt-to-income ratios. So we find that we're really straddling two evaluation worlds and having to develop evaluation metrics to report to both sets of stakeholders. Our approach uh, has included an RFQ that we did in late 2013 to find evaluation expertise that included finance expertise as well as traditional evaluation skills. Many of our programs have relatively complex financial structures, and evaluation of them requires fluency in new topics like credit enhancements, loan loss reserve, interest rate buy-downs, loan guarantees, or senior or subordinated capital structures. So what we found was in the RFQ process, some of the traditional evaluation firms teamed with finance-oriented firms or individuals 
to be um, qualified together as teams. And this is exactly what we were hoping for. But I think it also points to the impact, to the fact that impact evaluation of financing products is at the boundary of the expertise that the established evaluation firms have in-house. So we really think we're, we're pushing the boundary here. Thank you. Tina? So I, I would say that the leadership in our jurisdiction really reflects um, some of the various types of programs that, that California is launching on. And um, predominantly the EM&V or the evaluation, measurement, and verification has been handled by the California Public Utilities Commission um, overseeing the ratepayer funds. And they have an EM&V process that's very open to the public. Um, it is more of a journey, I think, as, as they focus on financing the IOU ratepayer um, on-bill financing programs and are also looking at this pilot of how do we get more private capital into the market. And so that process is going. There's, um, they have a, both a process evaluation and an impact evaluation process that we've been a part of. In addition to that, I think our, our legislature has um, been providing a lot of policy leadership of continuing to fund public attention and, and public dollars and, and policy attention, I should say, to, to this type of innovation and how do we get the private market more engaged um, while leveraging those taxpayer dollars. CAFA was just asked to undergo a statewide public process in which we actually developed criteria to do a comparative assessment across the various programs in California, which will include the efforts that we're, that we're working on under the chief or, or the um, two-year pilots that the PUC has approved, as well as the local government PACE programs um, on the residential side that have been doing um, a lot of activity over the last two to three years, really ramping up on residential PACE. Um, that our infrastructure banks programs as well as some of our other programs. So we'll ultimately, while that's not an evaluation, it will. My guess is that it'll lead to that, and those policy discussions at the legislature are still happening. Okay. Uh, the next question or set of questions is actually sort of uh, several questions in one. I want to step back a little bit and talk about sort of what are the goals and objectives of your evaluation process? What questions do you hope to answer through evaluation? And how important is increasing energy savings as a metric that you're trying to observe? And what are some of the other metrics that you're considering? Dina, then Andy. So I'm going to take those a little out of order. Um, related to the chief pilots, energy efficiency is the number one goal. As I mentioned before, we've got aggressive goals in California. So if, if, if the financing, if the leveraging private capital isn't meeting that goal, then we have a problem and we need to readdress. Now, as the implementer of the program, um, I, in, in, in talking to all the folks um, every day about how important financing is in their day-to-day -day business, we believe that we'll have that impact. Um, luckily, I'm not, I mean, I'm our third-party evaluation process, um, we're not part of that evaluation team. So energy efficiency, number one goal. Um, getting more lenders into the market, a goal. Um, lowering the cost and providing more financing options, one of our key goals. So, but without energy efficiency, those other things don't, don't matter. And I'm speaking predominantly to energy efficiency right now because from the renewable side, these ratepayer funds are restricted to energy efficiency. So while we can um, leverage and allow solar and other financing, that isn't the purpose of this specific program. We're also going to be looking at you know, w whether it's cost effective 
Well, are we stimulating deeper energy efficiency projects than previously achieved through traditional rebate approaches? And then look at the energy savings actually attributable to the financing. I think that's where it gets a little tricky because for every program, it's not financing alone. Um, one good rate um, isn't necessarily going to make the difference. It's also about the contractor networks, the establishment of quality assurance, and the marketing that goes with it. So I think I hit those three questions. Um, okay. What other metrics we're using, we're looking at the number of new agents into the market um, and new lenders. We're going to be looking at the terms that they're able to provide. Um, are they providing better terms? Um, for a lower or moderate income focus um, on the residential side. On the commercial side, we're also going to be looking at what type of innovative financing structures we can um, encourage with on-bill repayment. So right now that looks at energy service agreements. We might be doing some direct installments. I don't think it's just financing of, of one type of structure alone. And so we're going to be looking at what type of structures we can also encourage in the market. Thank you. Andy? Sure, I, I agree with uh, everything Dina said. Um, our goal here at the Green Bank um, is to develop tools that, that clearly communicate our results to the wide variety of stakeholders that we're working with and in the language that each of those groups speak. So it might be jobs created to legislators, but it's going to be about loan performance when we talk to investors. We also want to streamline our evaluation process to capture data efficiently if we can, at the time of application or loan repayment or through web-enabled metering and monitoring of actual projects and, and their production. And we want to be able to report those results in real time to the extent we can. We want to limit the amount of retrospective evaluation that we do, which is always disruptive, though we recognize there will be some component of that for process evaluations and attribution analyses. Increasing energy savings uh, is just as important as it ever was as a metric. Um, I liken it to having more children. You don't love the others any less. <laughs> we are a mission-driven organization that, that's focused on clean energy deployment and will value megawatts, megawatt hours, greenhouse gas reductions, and jobs created just as we always did. Um, among other things, measuring, understanding, and documenting energy savings is going to be critical for supporting any performance-based financing structures like power purchase agreements or energy savings agreements. But we will also have to learn how to equally value new performance indicators about loan performance and risk and use those to carry our message to the capital markets. Um, I'll defer on a little bit of the specifics, um, Chuck, if you don't mind, a later slide that we have on our uh, sort of program logic model. I think. It will give me a chance to talk about some of the more specific metrics that we'll be using. Great. Okay. Um, on these slides here, given time, um, we're going to focus on question five in terms of the stakeholder process. What other stakeholders have you brought into the process to help you develop and think through your approaches to financing evaluation? What processes have you been using to gather feedback from these stakeholders? Um, Tina, then Brian. So the evaluation on the chief pilots is going to be conducted by um, a third-party evaluators that are hired through the California Public Utilities Commission. They have a um, slew of contractors that are looking at both the attribution um, and the contribution of, of, of the pilots. That process in and of itself, I've, I've been told that it is a living document, and I've been pushing this question a little bit of, you know, what type of stakeholders do we actually get engaged? And well, I think some of it is the usual suspects of those that um, 
to say simply that those that geek out on these type of things um, and and really are in this industry, there's a lot of outreach also to some of the more um, academic or um, activist groups as well, or advocates, I should say, whether it be Greenlighting um, Institute or NRDC or EDF or even our ratepayer advocates um, here in California. On top of that, we've, we at CAPFA, um, under the process that we're doing under the legislative director, directive to come up with some criteria for a comparative assessment, have done a lot of outreach in a public process um, in getting folks to engage in our working group, assist with, with identifying some of the criteria. That process just launched, but we're providing um, presentations and really laying a foundation for a number of policymakers in the state to think through evaluation and what type of criteria is important to them. Um, that engagement, the looking at the different policy goals and statutory re requirements is really key. Um, both the EMV process is done through a, a public process where um, folks can submit comments they meet folks meet monthly to talk about the approach and kind of um, pose the right questions. And the working group that CAPE is doing well is also very open to the public engagement. In fact, you can you can email me if you want to get engaged. Thank you, Brian. Great. Uh, so, with respect to our program logic model, which Andy's going to get to uh, in just a second, uh, we selected Dunsky Engineering and Opinion Dynamics from uh, the pool of EMV experts that Andy spoke about uh, from the RFQ uh, because they were doing very creative work, in fact, with our colleagues out in California. Um, so that was very similar to how we've been thinking about uh, financing evaluation. So, so we uh, have been working with them. Uh, the Green Bank model is, is, is a new approach uh, to accelerating the deployment of clean energy. Uh, it's a departure from the norm, um, and thus there, there are very few stakeholders who understand what we're trying to achieve broadly. Um, the program logic model um, has been discussed uh, with our board of directors, uh, which includes the commissioners of the Department of Economic and Community Development, uh, Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, uh, labor, uh, environmental advocates, low-income advocates, uh, as well as a variety of clean energy finance professionals. Uh, we've also begun to discuss the uh, draft program logic model uh, with our utility partners uh, and the uh, EM&V consultants that work with our Connecticut Energy Efficiency Fund. So, so Chris Kramer, who's been an instrumental part of this report, for example, uh, would be a part of that group. Uh, we have a, a joint committee of the Energy Efficiency Board and the Connecticut Green Bank uh, that is also taking this up uh, as part of the conversations between that joint committee. Uh, we hold quarterly stakeholder webinars of the Connecticut Green Bank. In fact, the next one is this coming Monday from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Uh, we get about uh, 75 attendees at these online webinars, so we'll be speaking uh, about the program logic model during this webinar and solicit uh, some feedback here as well. Uh, we expect to release uh, the PLM in our evaluation framework as part of our multi-year comprehensive plan. Uh, in June of 2016, so uh, it's definitely a work in progress and we look forward to receiving some feedback from you all uh, as Andy dives into it. Um, we, we can understand why a, a more robust stakeholder process would be required uh, for programs administered by utilities where uh, ratepayer resources were being used and where there were financial incentives to be paid for performance. Uh, in the context of the Connecticut Green Bank, 
Uh, our mission is energy, environment, and the economy related. So we are focused on delivering societal benefits by making clean energy more accessible and affordable to consumers. We are not incented to do what we do because we are required to do it by statute. We're, we're required to just do it. So looking at the future green bond markets is where we're focusing and our financing evaluation efforts are directed there in order to provide more data transparency to the capital markets. Thank you, Brian. So this whole first section has highlighted um, the approaches that Connecticut and California are taking to evaluation of financing programs. And I just wanted to summarize that clearly Connecticut is, is thinking a set of metrics include the traditional evaluation approaches as well as doing evaluations and, and thinking about the financing markets in a more robust way. California is still a little bit more in the more traditional approaches to sort of evaluating financing programs, but bringing in indicators and metrics about looking at new agents, better terms, innovative structures, starting down that path, but not quite as far along as Connecticut is, partly driven by the fact of the difference in mission and focus. California programs specifically just on efficiency, Connecticut somewhat broader. Um, Brian's comments take us to a transition to the next questions. Um, in the Making It Count report, we talk about a number of best practices when evaluating a program from, more, from a market transformation perspective. And this notion of market transformation may be new to many people in our audience. It includes developing a program logic model and a timeline of interim metrics to, to track progress about the extent to which you're transforming markets. So the next two questions, um, do your programs operate according to a logic model? And if so, could you describe it? What kind of interim metrics might you expect to develop to correspond to this logic model and on what time frame. So Andy and Dina are going to take a shot at that. The next slide. Andy? Thanks. Uh, yep. Uh, thank you. We're really excited to present this model, but I'll, I'll start by declaring that it's very much a draft. And in fact, anybody who's read the Making It Count report saw an even earlier draft uh, as part of that. And I'll tell you right now, there's already a subsequent draft <laughs> to what you're seeing on the screen right now. But we're excited about this. We're excited to talk it through with the various stakeholders, and we think it'll be an effective communication tool for us and a program development tool. The Green Bank, uh, and I'll really just kind of move according to the numbers that you see on the screen. So in, in box one, the Green Bank is one of several entities in Connecticut that together provide a comprehensive suite of energy efficiency or renewable energy programs or interventions um, uh, designed to increase the adoption of clean energy. This diagram uh, and the Green Bank, uh, as we've described, is primarily focused on financing, but financing is one of several market transformation efforts that are underway. And I'd also include uh, education, reducing purchasing barriers, introducing new products, improving building practices, et cetera, as other market transformation efforts, which are no less important. So while this is a uh, financier's view of the world, if you will, uh, we, we recognize that it's but one of the tools uh, that is uh, work to increase adoption here in Connecticut. Moving to, um, I guess, uh, box two, so beyond the Connecticut-specific uh, uh, program administrators and, and parties, uh, there are other government incentives that play a big role here, tax credits, the investment tax credit, and so forth, and you see those down at the bottom of the diagram uh, in, in the dotted circle. So the transformation 
process, market transformation process itself is highlighted in the green box in the center of the screen. And within it, uh, there are several components. The Green Bank or other program providers can enter this process at any point. Uh, and uh, once in it, the goal is that it cycles uh, and there's a long-term feedback loop which will result over time in changes to the various components uh, of, of the process uh, that are shown. So one way uh, would be to affect the supply of capital. We can make capital available, uh, of course, for clean energy financing, but beyond availability, uh, this could be in the form of program activities that lower interest rates, increase term options, expand underwriting criteria to be more per permissive, uh, accept lower FICO scores, for instance, or increase marketing activity. We can also seek to change consumer demand. That can be through marketing programs or direct incentives. And of course, increased demand is expected to increase the number of projects uh, and or to the average savings uh, per project. So those, those would be the metrics that we're trying to see there over time. We could also, uh, moving down to box five, uh, play a really important role in providing financing performance data. Providing transparency in financing um, uh, performance data helps lenders and customers identify promising investments, and it also helps to increase competition and lower rates over time that way. At the lower left of the green box, you see uh, changes to the financing risk profile. We're hoping that goes down over time. Reducing risk is really the key linking role in this uh, feedback loop, leading to long-term impacts as the market recognizes advantageous risk and return profiles in energy efficiency of renewable energy investments and takes further steps to increase the supply of capital and therefore the demand of capital, and you can see how it would cycle around on itself. All those things, uh, all the program uh, logic model elements and the other market transformation efforts that are underway uh, in Connecticut combine uh, and ultimately aim to contribute to uh, impacts that you see in uh, the diamond uh, uh, number seven on the right of the diagram. We're trying to increase investment. We're trying to increase energy savings, lower greenhouse gas emissions, create jobs, and financing, we think, can play an important uh, role in doing that. So that's the model that we are um, working on. As to metrics, part of our ongoing work with the Opinion Dynamics and Dunsky team is to identify key performance indicators and ensure that our project intake tools capture all the right data. Um, we can assign our key performance indicators to the boxes within the financing market transformation process that you see on the diagram. So uh, for capital supply, will be uh, proposed indicators include the total available private loan pool, the ratio of public to private capital deployed, the weighted average interest rate, um, weighted average loan term of the projects that are approved. For consumer demand, the proposed indicators include how much total capital was deployed, measures of awareness, the number of applications, the number of applications approved, customer acquisition costs, the number of actively enrolled contractors. For loan performance and risk, we'll be looking at 
default rates, average delinquency rates, early repayment rates, average and minimum FICO scores, average and maximum debt-to-income ratios. And uh, at the right, in the impacts and uh, benefits are sort of our, our older children, if you will, uh, and that would be the total megawatts uh, installed, megawatt hours produced, energy saved, jobs created, greenhouse gas reductions, uh, and what we call our savings to investment ratio, um, uh, which is a measure of, of how cash flow positive our projects are. So, you know, we think this is the beginning of a uh, comprehensive uh, logic model that will be helpful to us both in mapping new programs and, and obviously in evaluating the success of the programs we have running. Thank you. Uh, Dina, I don't know, you have a choice of answering from these two questions or going back to the picture if you want to react to that at all. Sure, let's go back to the logic model because I think it, it can truly be um, universal in, in some ways, I think that um, the Dunsky ODC team has done a really good job here. Uh, the chief pilots will have a logic model. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but again, I think this type of approach is very universal when you're looking at either leveraging private capital or putting your own direct capital in, into the market. Some of the metrics that we'll be looking at in the interim as our logic model gets developed is you know, the number of new lenders offering a product. Again, this we're offering an open market system and so a number of different credit unions and finance lenders or direct install, um, who gets engaged. I think also the expansion of loan terms, just piggybacking on um, what, what folks from the Connecticut Green Bank have said, it's not just better interest rates, but an expanded group of customers. One thing that we're testing is bill payment history is a non-traditional underwriting met metric for our low and moderate income markets on the consumer side. We'll be looking at the number of financings, the type of products, the types of measures installed, um, whether those customers leveraged rebate and incentive programs will also, or whether they, they didn't, whether financing was in and of itself enough to move the needle. Um, the depth and the comprehensiveness of the project, actual energy savings, private capital leverage, the number of contractors engaged, it, and really we're focusing a lot on data, providing the energy data plus the loan performance data and, and merging those and providing that to the public. I think our um, it, the availability of that data and who's able to take advantage and is willing to look at that data as a, as a metric to whether they want to get engaged will also be a key indicator. The pilots will be looked at um, with a mid-year evaluation, although that is a two-year term for the pilots, um, they'll be launched sequentially. So we'll be looking at it mid-year to see what kind of changes we may need to make depending on the activity to date. So I think this picture is, is a really good way to frame the discussion, and I guess I want to make maybe two last points. Uh, number seven, impacts, savings, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. These are things that historically utility efficiency programs have thought about in terms of impact evaluation, particularly for those programs where you're trying to acquire resources to defer generation investments. And there's a real linkage between all that stuff in the middle between three and six where you're starting to think about the longer-term impacts of your program and what you're trying to do. And the relative balance between those two is, is part of what um, people have to think through. The more public ratepayer dollars that are on the table maybe leads you a little bit more toward thinking about putting more emphasis on seven impacts in terms of investment and savings, but it to do in terms of transforming markets. 
And if you have, if you're leveraging more private capital and bringing those things in, and you're dealing with the finance community, then it really is important to think through um, the metrics that you're going to be using. We're going to move on to the next topic, if that's okay. Uh, well, maybe I, hold on a second. Uh, back to the question. I, I didn't know. Go back. Uh, I didn't know if Brian and Dina wanted to talk a little bit about what ultimate impact do you expect your programs to have on the broader market? We have a couple of minutes if you guys want to take a shot at that. Uh, sure, Chuck. This is Brian. Uh, yeah, so we are starting to see the impact of our programs on the broader market. Um, as, as was mentioned earlier, uh, a solar program, solar loan program that we launched in Connecticut with SunGage Financial uh, is now a $100 million source of financing uh, through a local a credit union for homeowners in states across the country uh, who want to go solar. Uh, the offerings are better, maturity terms and interest rates are better, and no public credit enhancement is needed. Uh, this was our first uh, financing product to graduate, uh, so to speak. Uh, Connecticut's advanced the ball on CPACE across the country. CPACE has become a, a more viable financing option for property owners who want 100% of the capital up front and immediate cash flow positive benefits. Uh, we created the first CPACE warehouse with funds from Reggie. Uh, then securitized the first CPACE transaction with Clean Fund, uh, and then more recently developed a $100 million public-private partnership with Hannon Armstrong. And I would add, uh, uh, stay tuned for uh, a structured, uh, a sculpted amortizations on CPACE. That's going to be a new innovation coming out of Connecticut uh, shortly. Uh, and stay tuned for a public announcement of a $5 million program-related investment. So we expect to see more. Uh, foundations partnering with states. Uh, in this case, it will be the MacArthur Foundation uh, in support of a program uh, that we're running to address low-income multifamily market uh, for clean energy. Uh, we're about to close on a billion dollars of transactions in our first four years of operations, which is uh, uh, an amazing uh, number. Um, and we're, we're hoping this year to do a half a billion dollars in one year, um, and hopefully in, in the future, a billion dollars in a year. So. Uh, driving more investment in clean energy in Connecticut is, is, is the type of activity that impact that we're hoping to achieve. Uh, so those are the, the types of market transformations that the Connecticut Green Bank expects from its programs. Uh, and I just add that it's the passion, commitment, and dedication of the staff uh, and the board that brings uh, that to our mission every day. So uh, we're all very driven uh, to deliver impact and uh, uh, hopefully, over time, we'll continue to to deliver it. Thank you, Dina. Yeah, I, I second what Brian mentioned. I mean, I think overall, what what we expect to see is more local. And again, I'm speaking to the specific structure of these pilots, um, but I anticipate to see more. Um, local financial institutions getting involved, your community banks, your regional banks, where um, perhaps it may be perceived that it's it's been the big players focusing on green bonds or um, pay securitization um, to, to date. So I think we'll we'll see more of our regional lenders involved. I think we'll also see um, more actors drive rates down, so that we'll see more activity and better rates and terms for different ratepayers, both on the consumer and on the um, commercial side. My goal also is that we would have a reduction in risk or the perceived risk around these projects. I think when you talk about a green bond to date or um, PACE, there's, it's still not known. And so to a certain extent, all of these efforts will help to normalize that and continue to drive down rates and increase activity. Okay. Um, we're going to move to the next area. 
Um, in making account, we distinguish between using financing as a substitute versus a complement in terms of a program strategy. Where substitute means exploring the potential to use financing as a way to reduce the use of utility customer funds, uh, while complement means using financing alongside other programs to increase total benefits. Um, is your jurisdiction interested in exploring both of those approaches? Uh, Brian, then Dina. Yeah, so this is Brian. I'd say the answer to that is yes. Um, we, we seek to expand the market for a customer side of the meter solutions by increasing the number of participants and delivering deeper energy improvements. Uh, with regards to substitute, um, yes, definitely over time uh, we're seeking to transition the market reliance on ratepayer funds in the form of incentives to more private capital investment. That's the focus of our residential solar PV market efforts. Uh, with respect to complement, uh, we work uh, closely with our utility partners through the Energize Connecticut initiative uh, to deliver cost-effective and deeper energy improvements for uh, energy efficiency and renewable energy. And I, I just end by saying that our hope is that over time uh, we'll be able to optimize this balance of incentives to financing uh, public versus private resources as we make progress. Uh, through our joint committee, uh, which is uh, an effort between the Energy Efficiency Board and the Connecticut Green Bank. So yes, definitely both. Thank you. Dina? And, and my answer is almost exactly the same in the sense that um, the, the pilots are definitely look, looking to be a complement. Uh, I'm just going to reinforce that it takes a village. It's not um, the financing terms alone that make these programs successful or have an impact. It is about the contractor network. It's about the project QA, QC. It is about the marketing. It's how you drive demand. And um, from my perspective, financing helps remove a barrier. But how do we get folks to um, help us reach our energy goals? And so definitely a, a compliment. I think the substitute is what the pilots are, are the goal is to research and, and to define. I think overall from a policy perspective and any policymaker, you know, there's only so many taxpayer ratepayer dollars that you can use. And so you're looking for innovative ways to complement the market. I think the market has also shown the private market without government subsidy that they're interested in this area. There are folks making money on renewables that are, are coming in. So um, how we can help shape that um, whether financing alone or a good interest rate is ever going to be the answer, you know, I think time will will tell. Um, but with financing, it, it takes a village. Thank you. Uh, we're going to move on to the next area, assessing the impact and influence of your financing program, the question of attribution. Making it count suggests that it may be particularly important to isolate the impacts that are directly attributable to program financing if you're exploring the possibility of using it as a substitute for other program strategies like incentives and rebates and technical assistance, since you want to know whether savings will go up or down without other programs still in place. How is your jurisdiction approaching the question of whether savings are directly attributable to program financing? Andy and then Dina. Thanks, Chuck. Um, the Green Bank is working with uh, our utility partners on this issue. Um, because most energy efficiency projects also take advantage of, uh, that we see also take advantage of the energy efficiency incentive programs and rebates. But we are not under the same regulatory framework that they are, uh, and therefore we don't use the savings uh, that are created by our programs to justify shareholder incentives and, and, and meet goals in, in the way they do. 
So we also want to be careful not to take away from the savings that the energy efficiency program administrators can claim. The programs are, are really important uh, to enabling uh, the projects that we see, and, and we don't want to undercut, undercut them. But we do hope to do some measure of attribution. Um, for one, we plan to build questions into our application processes to do qualitative evaluation, uh, qualitative attribution evaluation as we go, uh, kind of in, in real time as the projects arrive here at the Green Bank. Um, but you know how we conduct a net impact analysis uh, really has yet to be determined. It, it's going to be very complicated. Uh, most energy efficiency financings are multi-measure. So it might be a question of which measures were included because financing was available, uh, not just a binary evaluation of uh, what led to a go-no-go -no -go decision. It's also a question of how one evaluates impacts from programs that were born at the Green Bank but graduated to be fully funded by private capital without credit enhancements, like our Connecticut Solar Loan product, which is now being fully financed by a $100 million partnership uh, with digital credit um, federal credit union uh, and doesn't require any public funds, uh, but certainly um, uh, came out of the Green Bank. So, you know, they're complicated questions um, and we uh, we appreciate um, the need to uh, figure out uh, what impacts are directly attributable to our, our programs, um, but we think it's going to be a complicated process. Okay, Dina? The, um the answer to the answer to that question is yes, we are looking at attributable program financing, um, or what is directly attributable to program financing. Opinion Dynamics is taking the lead on this, and they've created a baseline study for the first pilot that we're rolling out, and we'll be following up with customer survey surveys to say to ask that question. You know, but for this financing, what would you have done? Um, it is a tall task, if you ask me. Um, in their analysis, but I, but we will be looking at this. Um, as Connecticut mentioned, when you look at the suite of, of programs or the suite of incentives to get folks to do these retrofits, they're very, um, I think that comprehensive approach is very important. So actually piecing out what, what is attributable to program financing will be a tough task, but um, we're, we're doing it. Thank you. Uh, last topic, regulatory and legislative context context. What's the role of the Public Utilities Commission or other governing bodies in overseeing the financing program and evaluation process in your jurisdiction? And what's been the role of the legislature in your jurisdiction in authorizing financing programs or determining how financing programs would be evaluated? Brian, then Dina. Great. Yeah. So let's take these both um, in the same so, so the governing body for the Connecticut Green Bank is actually a, a board of directors. So by statute, uh, there's an 11-member uh, board of directors that includes commissioners from economic development, energy and environmental protection, uh, includes the office of the state treasurer, uh, and a number of different uh, advocates, low income, environmental, clean energy finance, et cetera, uh, that are appointed by uh, the legislature as well as the legislative as well as the executive branch. Um, we have bylaws, operating procedures, ethics policies that govern our operations. Uh, the board reviews and approves the comprehensive plan and budget and reviews and approves the audited comprehensive annual financial report. Uh, you, can, you can get all this in the About Us financials and governance tab on our website. 
the program logic model that Andy explained uh, in the subsequent evaluation frameworks for the Smart E-Loan and the CPACE programs, which we're going to tackle first, uh, will be a part of our FY 2017 comprehensive plan. So uh, that will be done in the June-July timeframe. And then in terms of the legislature, you know, the Connecticut General Assembly has been a huge supporter of the Connecticut Green Bank. Uh, as many of you know, the Connecticut Green Bank was created with nearly 100% bipartisan support back in July of 2011. Um, they see the progress that we've made as instrumental to scaling up societal impact. Uh, they take a lot of pride in the progress that we're making and are al always very interested in learning about our failures as well. Um, they've created programs like CPACE and are now considering RPACE. Uh, we file an annual report to them, we testify in hearings, we have an op ongoing open dialogue with them, uh, and given our quasi-public status, uh, we file reports all the time with the Office of Fiscal Analysis, State Ethics, Secretary of State, and others on our activities. Uh, and we also, of course, have the support of Governor Malloy uh, as well, who's been a steadfast proponent uh, in using limited public resources to attract and deploy more private investment. Uh, in our clean energy economy. So um, governance of the board, uh, legislature, that's a quick breakdown. Thank you, Brian. Dina? You know, Chuck, I think this question really highlights the different types of structures that states can, can utilize. Um, so, so for some additional background, um, CAPFA is a state agency housed under the state treasurer's office. It's, we're one of the financing authority. We have a board of five, which includes the Department of Finance, which is our um, act, acts like the funding controller here in, in the state under the governor's office, the California Energy Commission, the California Public Utilities Commission, the state controller, and then it's chaired by the state treasurer, John Chung. So we. I report to a board of um, both elected and appointed officials. We report to the legislature. We're on budget. We report annually. And um, we get our budget authority from them and have and, and report on all of our activities. On top of that, this program for the chief pilots is um, directed and regulated by the Public Utilities Commission. We've entered into an MOU with the Public Utilities Commission to carry out the pilots on their behalf. It's funded with ratepayer dollars, so we're actually um, contracting and working very closely with all of our investor-owned utilities in this program. And so the evaluation process on energy savings and ratepayer dollars focused towards leveraging financing is under the Public Utilities Authority. Um, CAPA's work in our working group portfolio and trying to come up with criteria for our comparative assessment on energy efficiency, our reports to the legislature are all under our statutory authority. Um, I guess earlier, you know, this makes me think, earlier when I said it takes a village, I was talking about a, a few different angles from the California perspective. Um, because all of these programs are also highlighted in our AB 758 action plans um, on financing and the other efforts that are going on in the Energy Commission and the Infrastructure Bank. Um, the legislature is definitely taking a, a key role on policy leadership as well as the governor in establishing our very aggressive energy efficiency and renewable goals. And um, there's, a, there's a comprehensive approach um, between the various parties involved. Thank you, Dina. So we're going to transition to the next part of the, the, the webinar where we get audience Q&A. But before we do that, I want 30 seconds. I mean, Brian gave a shout out at the beginning to sort of the folks who contributed. 
uh, I need to acknowledge uh, the, the, the lead authors and co-authors, Chris Kramer, Emily Martin, Faderhan, Steve Scheller, Lisa Schwartz from LBNL. Also, we got great advice and input from the Financial Solutions Working Group. Uh, and, and, the, and the folks who commented on the paper are listed in the document. And I urge people who want to take a deeper dive into this to take a look at the report. There's a lot in it. Uh, we've covered part of that today, and, and we've hoped to make the report come alive by really getting uh, folks from Connecticut and California who are really at the forefront of these areas and issues to talk with us about it. So let's turn to Matt and questions from the audience. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chuck, Dina, Brian, and Andy. We've been receiving quite a few questions throughout the GoToWebinar interface, and we'll spend the next 10 minutes discussing some of these. Uh, thanks so much to our listeners for your participation. The first question we've received is, what were the challenges in convincing regulators to allow ratepayer funds to be used as a credit enhancement, given that ratepayer funds have traditionally been used for rebates and grants? How did you address these challenges? Let's start with the California perspective. That is a really good question. Um, we had a piece of legislation, AB 758, that asked both our Public Utilities Commission and the California Energy Commission to look at financing as an option. So I think that definitely um, launched the process, although some of my um, colleagues on the webinar um, from California may have some more additional context for that. I think when you talk about ratepayer funds, and, and this is my perspective, not the PUC's perspective, um, in being, it being used as a credit enhancement, I mean, rebates are, are very similar to, to grants, right? We're just giving the money away. We're not, we're not getting anything back. Um, when you talk about a 0% loan, again, you're, you're, not getting, you're, you're more at risk, but you're not getting anything back. Um, in a very simple term, when you use a, a credit enhancement or a ratepayer fund for a credit enhancement, I would say that's almost safer. I mean, here you are, one, leveraging private capital. Um, two, we're holding it in a reserve and unless there's um, a default or we need to make somebody whole. And so this, just the structure of that um, may mean more administrative costs in the structure that we're developing, but the actual risk to the credit to the rate pair fund, one could argue, may be lower. So I think it depends on your appetite for risk, um, your appetite for trying new innovative structures, and really probably doing a lot of education on what a credit enhancement is. Um, the PUC did make a decision not to do direct financing. Um, and instead to leverage that private capital. So it's looking, I think, at that continuum of the different options involved and then, and then talking through it. I, I would say it's a lot of education. Great, and, and this is Brian. I guess what I would say uh, is that from the perspective of Connecticut is that um, in terms of the use of ratepayer funds uh, for incentives, we've really focused all of our incentives on the solar PV program that I mentioned a little bit before. Uh, in terms of our financing programs, what we're using are Reggie Allowance proceeds and repurposed RSF funds. Uh, so just to give you a sense of the residential portfolio, you know, we've now uh, issued a number of, of loans and leases through those programs. Um, we've repurposed a lot of the federal funds initially to serve as loss reserves uh, in, in the form of the credit enhancement. Um, we've seen uh, no defaults and very few delinquencies to date uh, on that portfolio. The challenge for us is 
that the federal funds, the repurposed RSF funds, maintain their uh, federal requirements in perpetuity when you use them as loss reserves, uh, as opposed to an interest rate buy-down. So um, given our current losses in the portfolio, we don't want those uh, federal funds to, to maintain those federal requirements in perpetuity. So we're going to be repurposing them all to be interest rate buy-downs, which is going to effectively allow us to work closely with our utility partners to ensure that uh, we're working towards uh, you know, a contractor channel that's that building relationships between renewable energy and energy efficiency so that we can go deeper and do more comprehensive projects by uh, buying down the interest rate. So part of the transition to get us to uh, a future where uh, the contractor community is delivering more comprehensive projects. So that's just kind of a high level how we use ratepayer resources versus uh, REGI funds and the repurposed RSF. Thank you. Now, can you talk about the evidence in the marketplace that points to lack of access to financing as a problem in the marketplace? Brian, do you maybe want to take this from the start? Um, yeah, so so again, I um, we focus on clean energy broadly, so I don't want to just speak of this uh, in the efficiency uh, realm specifically, but I'll give a, a clear example of where it applies in the solar PV industry. Uh, we're all uh, very familiar with third-party owners uh, that are doing very well uh, in the markets, but there are also local contractors in, in the markets that can use a lease product uh, and compete uh, against the other, uh, say, national third-party owners. So that was our rationale for having a follow-on CT Solar lease program was to provide the local contractors with access to a lease product. And what you see there is, is more market competition, uh, more consumers having access to, to choice. Um, we're now in the process of transitioning the local contractors to working with third-party organizations. So uh, you can see that in our numbers, how well uh, they're doing, local contractors, and our goal there is to, again, transition them away from being reliant on the incentives and more towards working with private capital players. Um, so that's one example. Uh, I'm sure there are a number of others in specifically the multifamily low-income space where we're now just starting to delve in uh, and dig a bit deeper there as, as our board is focusing our priority uh, in that segment of the market. And I would just add that um, California's Public Utilities Commission has done some research on identifying the barriers to energy efficiency, and financing was identified as a, a clear barrier in at least one of their studies, I'm sure, in several. Um, and when you look at just accessibility to cleaner energy or cheaper energy, um, we, are, we are in a world where there are haves and have-nots, where um, if you hit a certain income level that a direct installment may be um, the best bet. We're not going to be out there encouraging folks that can't afford it to take on more debt. And then there's the folks that don't need financing. I think this niche of financing is really, um, I'm sorry, I keep on changing hats between the consumer and, and the business perspective, um, but we're really hitting a, a, a niche of folks where access to financing is a, is a true barrier when they want to either take on a project or perhaps to incentivize them to do a deeper retrofit when they might not have otherwise been able to afford it. Maybe just to add on real quickly to Dina's comment there, I think that from a, an economics perspective, there is a, a bit of a, a market failure here, right? In, in the, in the 
from the perspective of asymmetric information. So I, I think what we're trying to do is to bring about more competition in these markets by de-risking um, uh, investments in clean energy. And by doing that, we're bringing more competition in on interest rates, underwriting, all those sorts of things uh, that, to Dina's point, uh, makes clean energy more affordable and accessible to consumers. So uh, that, that's why data transparency and, and, and the whole next step efforts of the Financing Solutions Working Group uh, to provide that data and make it transparent is going to be very, very key. Thank you both. Dina, are the California Public Utility Commission pilots intended to complement or replace current PACE offerings, or how will the on-bill financing interact with PACE initiatives? Yeah. I think that's a really good question. When the pilots were first authorized, PACE had a, um, had a bit of a lull, right? It was in 2012, um, I think that FHFA had just determined that um, I put a suspension and a lot of the California PACE programs stalled. T today we're in a different market, right? Uh, residential PACE is um, very, very active in California. Um, CAFA has a $10 million reserve that is supporting um, almost a billion dollars in PACE assessments. Um, PACE isn't for everybody. Uh, true, it is not an. It, there is no upfront cost. It goes on your property tax bill. It's a very secure product. Um, it's very, very active in California on the residential side. Our commercial side, ironically, um, is is still gaining steam for PACE. But PACE as a structure doesn't work um, for all types of models or challenges. Not everybody wants something on their property tax bill, and sometimes the rates are still too high, even on a secure product. So. This will definitely be a complement to the suite of financing out there, but I think that you could say that for anything today. I mean, there's already lo personal loans out there. There's already business loans out there. So what do we need to make financing for energy efficiency or renewable more attractive? Um, I think what we're comparing to is the different types of financial structures. So we have um, PACE, we have SBA loans, we have... Um, non-secured personal loans, there's business lines of credit. So again, what, what we're working on doing is trying to find that niche to get that customer to make the improvement. Um, and can we find a, a sweet spot for energy efficiency and renewable, kind of to um, de-risk to provide those better rates in order to get the project done. So. Well, yes, the, the pilots were developed um, in a time when PACE had suspended and now PACE is being very active. I would argue that um, PACE focuses on a different market segment than what the pilots are focusing on. Um, the ratepayers and the IOUs have no interest in providing support on home equity lines or anything secured by the property. Right? We're looking at an unsecured product for energy efficiency improvements, so the direct comparison would be um, on a credit card or a personal loan. That would be what we'd be comparing today. Um, not necessarily to that pace, which is secured by the property. Thank you so much. So that takes us to the end of the webinar. I'd like to thank Chuck, Dina, Brian, and Andy for a great webinar. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening and participating. As a reminder, this webinar will be made available on the Yale Center for Business and the Environment website, where I would also invite you to register for our next webinar 
at 4.15 p.m. Eastern Time next Thursday, featuring insights on clean energy from the Norwegian government. This is Matt Hanna, and I hope you'll join us for the next Blueprint for Clean Energy.